I'm in the book of Romans, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans. I start in Romans 6 today. I'm grateful to uh, Jeremy for preaching for me uh, last week while I was in New York City, a um, multi-purpose trip to uh, help one of my kids, but also to meet with our partners there. If you've been here for some time, you probably uh, have heard that we uh, send teams and invest energy as well as money in New York City. And after being there for a few days, let me remind you, they still need Jesus in New York City. So there's still work to do, and we're working on uh, not new partnerships, but additional trips coming up. And if you would prayerfully consider that, uh, don't miss our missions conference the first weekend in March. It's always a highlight in the life of our church And we will have representation from New York this year. It's going to be a wonderful weekend. I hope that's on your calendar. I love New York. I love going. But it is good to be back. Romans. We started in Romans chapter 1 and all the way through chapter 3. The Apostle Paul really explained clearly and in depth how hopeless humanity is, how lost we all are, how desperately we all need a Savior. And when you move on from the middle part of chapter 3 through verse 5, he's talking about the glorious gospel, the grace of Jesus. And when we come to chapter 6, as I've told you before, we are going to get into some deep waters theologically. But he is now beginning a very subtle shift towards the practical aspect of having been lost, now being saved. Does it really, does it really matter? How does that play out in our lives? Now, I don't know about you, but often in my life, I will both hear and I will ask the question, does it matter? Is this important? If you've ever been in school, you have asked this question, but you've asked it in this way. Is this going to be on the test? And so if you think in those terms, is this going to be on the test? Does it matter in life? Is it important? And we get to some issues today that I believe are very important and indeed do matter. So what I've done, I've taken... The first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6, there's four sets of verses that I want to look at, and each of those sets of verses just has one word that I hope we can see in that passage and make application to our lives. So Romans chapter 6, look with me at verse 1, and there the Bible says, Paul writes, what... Shall we say then, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, the Jamie Pruitt version of that, do we get to sin more so we get more grace? Paul answers in verse 2, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. My word for those verses is the word death. 
And the question being, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue to live however we want? Shall we continue to sin? Shall we continue to go our own way? Because in doing that, we get more grace. And you think, well, that's a ridiculous argument. Where would anybody ever even come up with that argument? Well, if you read in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says... Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so there are some who would say, well, in order for us to get grace, to enjoy grace, to have more grace, we've got to sin more and more and more and more. And that is not what Scripture is teaching. Scripture is telling us at this passage that the way of life for you and for me is through death. So if you want to live, you have to die. It is death to sin. It is death to self. It is death into a saving relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So in this concept of death, Paul clarifies a little bit. But he uses these phrases that we read, you've read it, you can see them there in your Bible. He talks about we who have died to sin, we who were baptized into his death, we who were buried with him by baptism into death. And then he talks about the newness of life, the experience for Christians. Christians is that the way of life is through death. We've got to die so we can live. So when you hear death, understand it has far more meaning than what we typically assign to death. For us, in the flesh, in this world, in our everyday experience, when we hear death, we think loss. When we hear death, we think grief. When we hear death, we think about all the loss and sorrow that is ours, and that is true in this world. But for us, when Jesus died, he made a way of life. And when we die spiritually, we find spiritual life. And the way Paul illustrates this is by referencing baptism. Now, many of you have been a part of this church for quite a long time. Some of you are new to us, and we are a Baptist church. Uh, baptism is a part of the name of our church. We're Gillum Springs Baptist Church. Therefore, we practice what is called baptism. Now, if you are so new to us that you've never seen a baptism, behind me under that cross, there is what's known as a baptistry. We fill it up with warm water. We invite people who have come to Christ, those who come to be a part of this church from another tradition or denomination to follow the Lord in baptism. The word baptizo in Greek means to dunk. It means to plunge. It means to hold under till they wiggle and bubble. 
And that is what we do. We invite you to come down the steps holding the railing into the warm water where somebody will take you physically and place you under the water. And you've heard preachers say, buried with Christ through baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. If you ever wondered what preacher came up with that, it was the preacher Paul in Romans chapter 6. We're just copying what he has said. But we've made it easy for you. We have folks get in there and they're amazed. Ooh, it's warm. Some of the kids just want to stay there for the rest of the service, you know. Swim around, have a good time. It's nice. We've made it easy. We no longer say come down to the creek at 2 o'clock. We're going to baptize. And even if we did, this preacher wouldn't be at the creek at 2 o'clock on a February to baptize anybody. I've met people here who said I got baptized in a cow pond. Not me. Not me. Hadn't been there. Not going to do that. We made it easy. We've sanitized it. We've sterilized it. We make it easy. We tell folks, don't be afraid. Some folks are scared to death. I've been in baptisms where the kids will grab the glass. Have y'all ever seen that? It is YouTube gold. Try to get them under. I was on staff at a church one time. Kid kept grabbing that glass. My friend Daryl picked that child up and plunged him (laughs) under the water. It was a precious moment. I tell you all this to tell you, we've made it easy, we've made it simple, we've made it clean. But anytime you hear baptism, you do need to think death. Because it is a picture of what happens when you and I come to Christ. The old self dies. The old self is buried. The old self is gone. And and, and the, the picture of baptism is that when you and I come up out of the water, we're new, we're clean. So, when you hear death in Romans just know you can always think life because Paul is looking beyond the the, the spiritual death of self and sin to the spiritual new life and so that goes to the next section verses 5 through 7 and my word there is resurrection because look at what Paul says for if we've been United with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. There's a lot in those verses. But Paul uses the word united with him in death like his. That's the first thing for you and for me to understand. United. It is a translation of a a Greek word that was used of grafting plants together. This plant, this plant, grafted together where they grow into one. It was used medically of of bones that would grow and, and heal together. It was used of two things becoming one. And so Paul talks about our death. He talks about our dying to self and sin. And then when he comes to talk about our resurrection with Christ, the first thing he addresses is how you and I are united with him. 
that when the old self dies, the new self is grafted into Christ and we grow to become one. Now, the Greek word used here is sunphitos. It means to grow together, but it has the prefix soon in English, S-U-N. It means with. And so Paul says when we're united, he's saying that we grow with. There's another prefix in Greek that means with. It is the prefix meta. It means to be together. Wayne Barber, who's now gone on to glory, described it this way. The word meta is used of being with someone. Jesus was with his disciples. But the prefix soon means to be together with intimacy. It's to be together in a whole nother level. He, he described it in terms of cooking, that if you say that you're going to bake something, you take all the ingredients that you're going to use to bake whatever, and you lay them out on the counter, those ingredients are meta. They are together. But that's not what is said about you and me with Christ. It says we are soon with him, S-U-N. That prefix is like you take all those ingredients and you mix them in a bowl. They're no longer isolated. They are together. And once they are stirred together, they are something very different. Let's just imagine, for the sake of honoring Christ, we illustrate this with biscuits. Glory to God. If you take flour and Crisco and milk and whatever else you're supposed to put into biscuits, you put them all together and then you mix them, they are no longer individual. They are together. And they have become something completely different. And when you take all that glorious, godly goodness and put it in the oven, what comes out is something that is no longer distinguishable. They are together and they have formed something else. And you say, well, boy, you went a long way to talk about biscuits. I went a long way to talk about when you and I are united with Christ, we become something very different. We become biscuits for God. That's my new phrase. Here's the deal, bless you. When we die to self and sin, we are then connected with, united with Jesus, never to be separated. And that is where it really begins to matter for you and for me. That you and I would live our lives in such a way that we absolutely know we're united with Christ and we cannot be separated. Listen, you don't pick up Jesus on your way to church on Sunday. If you're in Christ, you're with him every single day. He's a part of every aspect of your life. Your marriage, your friendships, your work, your recreation. I'm telling you, Jesus is with you. And so I, I just want you to understand, dear friend, that, that if you think there is such a thing where you have a relationship with Christ, but you hold him at arm's length and you get him when you need him, that's not salvation. You may have a little dose of religion, but you don't have a biblically defined relationship with God. You have Jesus 
with you constantly. You have been united with. You together are growing together. And if you understand that when you are united with him, the Bible also says you'll be resurrected like him. Paul doesn't just look at the stuff of life today. He looks on into eternity. Why? Because this life is not all there is. Paul is not just focused on now. He's looking at the future. But he's not just looking at the future. He's concerned with our life today. He says our old self was crucified in order that, what? The body of sin might be brought to nothing. He says so that you and I may no longer be enslaved to sin. The Bible says our old self was crucified. Our old sin nature, our old opposition to God, our old selfish desire of feeding the flesh, the old sinful self, who we were in Adam before grace, before we died to self. But once we're in Christ, we are a new creation and our old self is dead so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would struggle and fight to seek to have victory over sin. Here, Paul says, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, let me illustrate this a little bit more by taking you to Ephesians. Ephesians is the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And on this particular topic of sin... He had some wonderful things to say in Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 22. He tells the Ephesian church, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The the language there is that it's like clothing. You take it off and you sit it over here. He he says that you and I are to put off, take off, set aside our, our old self. Look at verse 23. This is what we're to be. We're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And we're to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Does this matter? It does matter because Paul's telling them there's some practical application. Look at Ephesians 4 later because he goes into more detail about how we put off sin. He starts giving them some illustrations of what they're to put off. He says, quit lying. Tell the truth. Does that matter? Well, it does. If you're the one being lied to, don't you wish that Christian would quit lying to you? He says, quit lying. Tell the truth. He says, quit being angry. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He hadn't met some of the folks you and me have met, has he? But he says, don't be angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Put that old anger aside. He says, don't steal. He says, be honest. He says, work. Then he says, watch your mouth. Boy, now he's plowing close to the corn, ain't he? Watch your mouth. Don't let any uncorrupt speech speech come out of your mouth. He says, be kind, forgive. See, the old self is at home living one way. But when you and I come to Christ 
and we've died to sin and self and we're baptized with him and we're raised in this new life and we're united with him. It's this process where we're being made into this new creature. The old self is at home living one way. The new self will never be at home there again. Now here's the dilemma. We still have this flesh to deal with. Spurgeon said, the old man is crucified, but he's long in dying. By that, he means the struggle to do away with sin is real. Paul said that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The the word literally means to be rendered inoperative, to be rendered invalid. So Paul says part of this process is that you and I would render the old body of sin inoperable and invalid. Why? Because we've been set free. What does it mean to be set free? It means we're no longer under the control of sin. We're no longer shackled and enslaved to that way of life. We know what freedom is. We know what it is when we're slipping back. We, we know the way of life. We know the power of the Spirit. We have the desire to please the Lord. We want the victory. Now, contrary to what some will tell you, I do not believe biblically, I don't believe the Bible teaches that it's possible for us to live sinless lives. But I do believe we can have less sin in our lives. Remember, Jesus is always here to help. But in a sense, it's as if we remove the shackles of our sin. And then we shackle ourselves to Jesus and say, I'm going with him. The day in and day out struggle, though, is that some folks prefer the way of sin. Some folks just love sin. Some folks just think they're going to have more fun. Some folks just think they're going to get ahead in life. Some folks just think this is the way we got to operate in the real world, preacher. Friend, I'm telling you, that's not the way of life. The movie Harriet tells the story of Harriet Tubman. She was a slave that escaped. She made her way 100 miles to freedom and then committed her life to setting others free, eventually helping set 70 other slaves free. The movie depicts the time when she went to get her sister. Harriet had been away for a while. She'd had a new life of her own. She had set others free, but she loved her family. And it depicts her going to get her sister, to bring her to freedom. And the sister refused. And she began to make an excuse and with tears exclaim why she couldn't, why she couldn't. And I'm convinced there are some folks who won't come to Christ. Because they love the way of sin. Paul talks about resurrection. Paul talks about death. But death, resurrection moves naturally into life. Look at verse 8. There the Bible says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Those verses summarize what was said in the previous seven verses. 
It is an explanation. It's a retelling, a restating of what's already been said in verses 1 through 7. But there's a little addition. He says, we're dead to sin, according to verse 11. We must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive to God. Anytime you and I speak about death, hanging in the balance is also the consideration of life. Now, remember what I said previously. When you think about death as it relates to Christ, you have to think about life. And when you hear death to sin and death to self, you have to think about life. And here, Paul makes clear that you and I are now to be alive to God. What does it mean to be alive to God? It means we're completely aligned with him. It means that you and I are now living our lives to please him, to honor him, to do his will, to bring glory to his name, to expand his kingdom, happy in the fact that his plans are better than your plans, his desires for your life are more significant, and his way is above my way. But all of that will only happen if you are in Christ Jesus. Friend, I want to tell you, you'll never be happy living for God until you are absolutely in Christ. And by that, I mean it's not enough to be in some things. It's not enough to be in church. Now, I'm a big fan of church. I'll tell you that till my dying days. I'm a big fan of church. I've given my life to the church. I love the church. Jesus died for the church. The church is a beautiful thing. I love the church. I can be more specific and tell you I love this church. And today we've got 30 people coming to be a part of this church in New to Gillum. I celebrate everything you all do in the name of Jesus and Gillum Springs Baptist Church. But I tell you what. It's not enough to be in church. You got to be in Christ. Some of you need to be in Sunday school. If y'all hadn't got a Sunday school class, we're locking the doors. We're going to sign you up, drag you kicking and screaming to a Sunday school class. Why? Because it's important. You need it. But let me tell you what, it ain't enough to be in Sunday school. It's not enough to be in a life group. You got to be in Christ. No other religion on earth has this concept of being in the Savior. This doesn't come through Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam. My, one of my drivers this way, they were all Muslims from the Arab world. And so always the conversation, so where are you from? I guess my New York accent doesn't work up there. What do you do? Now you try explaining a pastor to a Muslim from Algeria. You own the church? No, no, that's not how it works in this world. So we began to talk, and he said, uh, we're different, aren't we? I said, yeah, we're different. He said, you and the Jews, y'all are different from us. I said, we're different. Begin to talk about Jesus. Yes, the prophet. I said, no, see, more than the prophet. Ibn Allah, the son of God. And just a little bit about how he's made a difference in my life. This is totally different from any other group in the world. Friend, I'm telling you, it's not enough to be in church. It's not enough to be in good works. It's not enough to be in good standing in culture. It is absolutely essential that you be in Christ. And once we're in him, we are united. Friend, I'm telling you, go back to the biscuit illustration. 
Once it's mixed and baked, you can't unbake it and unmix it. And what we are is something very different. Paul told the church in Corinth, we're a new creation. He, he told the church in Galatia, he said, it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. But then he went on to confuse a little bit. But the life I live now, oh, see, listen, we're still living, but we're dead. It's still us, but it's not us. We're in Christ. Death, resurrection, life, finally, the rule, the reign. Look at what he said in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Does it matter? Friend, I'm telling you it matters. Sin no longer has the power to rule over us. Now he says, let not sin reign in your mortal body. Why would he say that? Because sin will try to rule in your mortal body. It will try to have control. It will try to direct your life. It will try to master everything about you. But we are instructed to resist giving further proof to the fact that you and I cannot live sinless lives. It is a struggle. So those who may be tempted to say we can live sinless lives, this passage would say no a hundred times over. Leon Morris said, believers do not have a serene existence from which sin has been blissfully excluded. They are still in the flesh as well as in Christ. So the struggle for us is that we're not to let sin reign in our mortal body. This body is where the new spirit lives. This body is where the redeemed soul lives. The soul's going to live forever, but one day these bodies of ours are going to wear out. And these bodies of ours will be disposed of. And so the Bible says, let not sin reign in our mortal body. What's he talking about? Well, sin's going to be a struggle for the body, for the mind, for the eyes, for the ears, for the mouth, for the heart, for the hands, for the feet, for the lips. We're told, present our members, our body. It is a word that means to serve. And he says, don't serve your body to sin. Serve your body to God. We're under grace, though. Some of you would say, well, look at what he said there at the end. Look at what he said. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Friend, I'm telling you, I'm so thankful for grace. But we can't abuse grace. I really prefer grace to the law. You know, the law tells you things you're not supposed to do. I love grace, but I can't abuse grace. Here's the dilemma. This is where it matters. What you and I are serving ourselves, giving ourselves to. I've noticed something in my life. This is going to blow your mind. I love sugar. And if somebody gives me an opportunity to eat sugar, guess what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm going to eat it. Let me tell you how it happens. Somebody will bring sweets to the church office. Don't quit. 
just hang on for the illustration. This is what happens. I'll be on some diet kick like I am from time to time. Somebody will bring something, and I'll look at it, and I'll walk away. But while I'm walking away, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking, gosh, that sure did look good. And then I'll, I'll, start, I'll start reasoning away why it's okay for me to have just a bite. You know, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I mean, they brought it to the church staff. I probably, oh, it smells good, and I'll walk away. And I'll go back to my office, and I'll be back there praying about how the Lord's going to forgive me. If I go back <laughs> and just have a little, and it's just a little bite. I'm just going to have a little, just a little sliver, say, of cake. And then in about 30 minutes, somebody will say, where'd the cake go? And I'm back there. <laughs> Can y'all relate? Now, you just take that picture and apply it to sin. Because the flesh in us is crying out for something. Could be thoughts. Could be something our eyes are drawn to. Could, could be some activity. Our hands take part. So we shouldn't do it. And we wrestle with it. And we walk away for a little while. And we think about it. And then the Bible says, don't serve yourself to this. Give yourself rather to God. Does it matter? Friend, I'm telling you, it matters. Is it going to be on the test? I think it could be. And the test comes every day. And if you will avoid the first, the small, the insignificant sin, you've got a, a much better chance of avoiding the bigger sin when it comes. If it's me and cake, the only way to avoid it is don't indulge. I'm telling you, that's the way it is with sin. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? I don't want to do anything mystical. I don't want to do anything weird. But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just wonder if the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God could together work on your heart. This week, maybe even today, Perhaps even before you leave this place. How are you going to be tempted? Is it something with your mind? Where's your mind focused right now? Is your mind focused on the things that are above? You know, Scripture says, set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. Maybe it's your eyes. Maybe it's your ears and you're listening to Something or someone you shouldn't. Maybe it's your mouth. You're tempted to just say things. You're tempted to just dishonor God with your mouth. Maybe it is your hands and your feet. They're taking you places you ought not go and you're doing things you ought not do. So often it comes down to our hearts. Guard your heart, the Bible says, for from it flow the springs of life. Father, I pray that you would speak into all of our hearts to know that it really does matter. The issues of death, resurrection, life, and rules. Lord, if we've died to you, 
We're going to be raised with you. Our, our life is to be found in you. But God, I pray you'd help us to consider the rules that we would not let sin rule in our bodies. We need help, Father. And I pray that you would give us the grace that is needed to avoid sin. How foolish that we would ever think we should sin more so we get more grace. Help us to understand that your grace is there to help us avoid. Your grace is there to bring us to the point where we recognize we're sinners and we can't save ourselves. Your grace is there to help us. It is not a free pass. Help us, Lord, to live lives that honor you. And I pray everyone will hear and listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen.